Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. It's been the story of the last couple of days. The bond market pain with many people coming out and declaring the end of a three-decade-long bull market in treasuries. So weigh in. I'm pleased to say Russ Kostrick, Portfolio Manager yeah. for BlackRock's Global Allocation Team, joins us around a table in New York City. Russ, great to catch up. Jonathan, thanks for having me. Talk me through whether um, the bond bull market can die at least five times in in 12 months. Yeah, and Jonathan, as we were talking about, I'm sure this is not the first time that the bull market's been declared dead, and at some point that's going to be right. Uh, it's just not evident that it's today. You know, if we think about the bond bull market, I think it's helpful to to separate out the cyclical from the secular. On a cyclical basis, yes, the global economy is improving. I think inflation may firm a bit this year in the U.S. But what is left out of that narrative are all of the longer-term reasons, demographics, demand for income, slower nominal growth that have kept yields as low as they are for as long as they have been. And it's not obvious to me that those longer-term factors changed on December 31st. So big structural issues, Russ. The savings club. By definition, as the as the West gets older, that's a long bond story. That's not going to change for you? It, it's not changing. It's not just the West. It's also developing markets. We see a huge saving glut in many of the, these countries, and much of that still gets recycled back into developed country bond markets. And as we saw yesterday at the 10-year auction, there are a lot of people that are waiting for 252627 that are going to likely come in and bid at that level. With a vengeance. Yeah, with a vengeance. Russell Kostrich with us is BlackRock. Yeah, let's do nerdy conversations with Russ Kostrich <laughs> yeah. about bonds. That'll no one, the, everybody will listen to that. And Sector Spider got on board that, which was very well. That's good of them. It was very, very uh, yeah. cool as well. I, a dumb question. I was making a joke about it, and it was buried under John Farrow's wonderful introduction. In the equity markets, we make a joke: go to cash. <laughs> do bond people go to cash? I mean, I mean, in the real world, does, does somebody call up on the phone? Oh, my word, my duration's five years. Go to cash. Do people do that? Well, you go lower in duration. But, you know, the thing which is interesting about you the You never go to market, cash. You go to c- cash-like things, I think, is probably the okay. answer. Uh, but on the equity market, you know, again, this is in, we were talking about this before, Tom. The question in the equity market is always, what is your hedge? What is your hedge? You yeah. know, at some point, vol's going to rise. The thing that is often left out of this is the better hedge the last seven, eight years was not cash, it was bonds. Because when the market sold off, cash was flat. More often than not, bonds were up. Brexit was a great example of that. Tom actually raises a really interesting question. The ability to go to cash. When the window, when the door starts to get really narrow in a place like high yield, we're trading really, really tight on triple C's. We're trading really tight on junk bonds. Excuse me, jargon guy. What's a triple C? Incredibly speculative debt rated very lowly in the high yield sector. Tom Keane. That's a textbook definition. Thank you, Russ. I appreciate that. Tom 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 Keane trying to give me a hard time today. Is, Is the window there to get out when you need to get out? Well, that is a very fair question because we know liquidity is not what it was pre-crisis. We know that the, many uh, of the banks and the brokers have backed away from from the credit markets. Uh, one of the reasons, again, going back to why do people own treasuries at 2%, they are liquid. 
And you can think of them as a liquid cash substitute with yeah. carry, which, again, is why people have not abandoned the asset class despite low yields. Is it time to de-risk in BlackRock's view? I don't think so. I, I think you do have to realize that, look, we were unbelievably, spectacularly lucky in 2017. All the things that might have gone wrong didn't. Yeah. Uh, it's unlikely we're going to be as lucky, lucky in 2018. Having said that, I don't think a 5% correction means you abandon the bull market. Would oh. you step away from the idea? And Tom, you and I have talked about the issue of capital returns in high yield and the difference between that and coupon clipping. Yeah. Most people I've spoken to, Tom, say this is the year for coupon clipping and credit. You're not going to get much juice squeezed out of this. you know that Bill Gross started in the basement of the Pacific Investment Management Company clipping coupons? Yeah. Literally he clipping the old. Once. Yeah, I can literally, see. Gross was literally yeah. in the mailroom, smart kid out of Duke with some Navy experience, and Mr. Gross literally had scissors. Folks, for those of you younger, you had a piece of paper with coupons on the right side, and you actually clipped the coupon, which you turned in and got money. Nobody, do you notice, Rich, no one in the room has a clue what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, no one, has, no one in the room has a clue of what, how big that coupon might have been back in, the, uh, back in the times when Bill Gross was, was clipping them, Tom. Because yeah, that would have been, been real money well, compared I remember to what you get now. 7% CDs. Oh, that's terrible. You're killing when, me. When high yield was high yield. Yeah. I'm looking at the Bloomberg Barclays aggregate to a high yield index. And basically, if you just buy it and own it, you made a lot of money from a lean and low up 13% per year total return. You're suggesting a high yield is the place to watch. How do our listeners do that? Well, I think you watch the spread between high yield and the treasury market because that's likely to move early in any correction. And having said that, you know, I think it is a clip the coupon year for high yield. It's hard for spreads to compress much more, which is one reason We've actually been trimming credit, not because we think we're necessarily at the end of the credit cycle, but because we think the risk return on equities is better right now. Okay, what he said there, folks, is a really important pro term. We're going to go to Fabozzi 101 there. You said trimming credit, and what that means is not the time frame, but buying a better credit quality. And also the allocation to credit within a multi-asset portfolio. Okay, so as John Farrow the genius says triple C is an, is an <laughs> outlier. You want to migrate from triple C to a tendency of triple A? I think right now, what, rather than own triple Cs, you want to own common stocks is, is, is the key point. The time to own triple Cs is when the yields are rich and they're sold off like the bottom in 16. Okay. The risk reward at this point in the cycle is much less okay. attractive at that Part of the second. So the stub or bolt on risk part of a portfolio now is best affected with equities. Correct. And not with fixed income instruments. The risk reward in equities looks superior right now to high yield or IG. At the margin, I'd be trimming those. I'd be lowering my allocation in favor of raising it right. to equities. So this isn't de-risking, Russ. This is about the optimal place to sit on the capital structure. And you're basically saying it's the very bottom. It's an equity. I could not have said it better. That's, that's he exactly never it. says, Kostrich never says that to me. Well, that was well, a very crisp why, definition why, why not? there. I don't know. You know, I, I'm just. Isn't it great to have Russ Kostrick with us, though? Just to run yeah. through what's been quite a choppy 24 hours in global markets. We're with Russ Kostrich of BlackRock. Really enjoying being with him.
He is the eternal treasury bull. It's Kamal Shri Kumar, Shri Kumar Global Strategies President. The regime, Shri, of the last five, six, seven years has been growth okay, growth solid, growth decent, lowflation, lowflation, lowflation. There's a question mark as to whether we're breaking out of that regime, whether this administration can really change things, can they? This administration can change it. I think there are a whole lot of policies, John, which can change the outlook. But what we have seen so far is not going to do it because the tax plan as we know it, uh, I think is going to be very good for corporations. It is also going to be good for higher income people who receive dividends and capital appreciation from stock buybacks. But it is not going to be for you if you are a wage earner at the low or middle income level. So Sri, the perma bull, are things going to change for you? Or do you just keep your eye down the line and you stay bullish treasuries? I continue to stay bullish treasuries. I am. I will change if the circumstances change, John. But I'm not going to change because one bond guru or the other becomes bearish because they have been bearish in the past where I have stayed bullish. And we have essentially seen the 10-year yield come down back yeah, again close to 2% in September, and I think we are going there again. But the foundational idea here, Sri, is bringing the yield market, and John's just plugging you to get briefed on the real yield. Look for that show tomorrow <laughs> on Bloomberg Television. Over to your serious economics. Even with this tax cut, you don't buy Make America Great Again? I want to make America great again. It's not that I don't believe in making it great again, but, uh, uh, but what you need to do, Tom, is employment creating tax cuts. You want a tax cut. Did if we you get to, that? If you were to hire more workers, you get a tax cut. And in terms of one of the other areas that we have talked about is universal basic income. If there is some money that is given to you to give yourself training, to make yourself better, and that in turn helps your employment opportunities better. Those are the kinds of things which work at lower income levels. Okay, that's fine. I mean, it's, it sounds like Finland. We're on the edge of Helsinki. Good morning. Thanks for listening on our digital product uh, in Scandinavia. Great, Sri. This is America. There's no way you're going to get that through. What did you get in the Tax Act to create jobs? Uh, what you can, what you potentially have to create jobs are the corporate, that corporate tax cut from 35 to 21 percent, and that in turn boosts the company's after-tax income. Tom, the question is, do they use it for hiring more workers, giving more wages? Or is it used for stock buybacks and increasing dividends? Well, encouragingly, Sri, we've seen a mix of everything. We've seen some one-off bonuses, $1,000 bonuses Fair. at some of the telecommunication companies. We've seen them also incrementally boost wages at some of these companies as well. I believe Wells Fargo and another financial firm made that move as well. Do you think that is something we could see a lot more widespread as the months progress and these companies report and they give us a little bit more guidance as to what they're going to do with this money? I don't believe in anecdotal stories very much, John. And the reason is we saw after the Trump inauguration, there were a few companies which said they were going to bring jobs back from Mexico. And it turned out that more jobs were actually going back to Mexico than what were brought forward. So anecdotes are nice. News reports are great. But I believe in data and wage increases are not looking very good. The JOLTS numbers, which comes from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, came this week, shows 
that there are still considerable amount of job openings if you want them. Yeah. It shows that the quit rate was stable. In other words, you're not confident enough to quit and look for another job voluntarily. All of those don't say to me that this is a tough market where you're doing well. Well, I, I want to get to this, and, and Greg Villiers is going to come up here, folks, in a moment. I want to dovetail Mr. Villiers' politics into your cautious world on GDP. Greg Villiers is really beginning to tilt towards an historic election in November. Where do you see GDP going? Next as November. Get, November, yeah, of 2018. Where does GDP go in a Sri Kumar world as these politicians jockeyed in November 6th? The and answer is he doesn't get his 3%. He does is not what get I'm hearing from Exactly. You. That's exactly what I'm saying, Tom. I think you are at the 2 to 2.5% range. And if the risk, if anything, is on the downside, especially if you have problems with NAFTA, a trade war developing, or if you have a situation where you run into geopolitical issues dealing with North Korea or a China trade war, that apart, you are looking for a 2.5% growth. But if these global risks actually come out, you're looking for something lower. What does investment do? We mentioned consumption before on Bloomberg Television, but let's cover Y equals C plus I. I mean, all this, John, you mentioned it. All this money's coming back. Why would it be invested in a fully employed economy? Some will, I, I agree. But most of it gets distributed to the haves, right? Absolutely. I agree with you fully. That is my concern on the I side. The I side is it has to go into plant and equipment investment. And if it doesn't, the investment doesn't pick up, Tom. And the consumption to pick up, you do not need to give more money to the top 1%. You need to give it to the bottom 20, not because of any concern about income distribution or equality of incomes, but because the bottom 20, 30% are the big consumers. It's it's John Farrell, I find this fascinating. Yeah. I mean, all the different opinions we get. I really want to make this clear, folks. John and I are living this with Pim Fox and Francine Lacroix. And the set, the diversity of opinions, John Farrell, that wasn't there 90 days ago. Yeah. With a vengeance I will now, say over the last few days, I've witnessed a real shift in people's views about what's going to happen with CapEx this year. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of emails. How many emails have you had from analysts about upgrading industrials, becoming much more bullish yeah. about a, Jeff a CapEx Sprague. revival? Jeff Brian Sprague. Bowski of BMO yeah. yesterday on, on Bloomberg <clears throat> TV and on Bloomberg Radio talking yeah. about exactly that thing, get long Caterpillar, buy industrials, yeah. a CapEx oh. revival. I'm seeing a lot more enthusiasm about those themes in the last right. few days, Tom. Sri Kumar, thank you so so much for being thank you Tom thank Just you John love, love your work and thank you for your support out on Twitter he is from Lou Costello's Patterson at New Jersey think of Abbott and Costello who's on first the comedy of another time and place in Patterson New Jersey is from another time and another place. It's maybe the part of America that I speak too little of. Bill Pescrell joins us from the 9th District of uh, Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, Bill, can the Republicans even get to November 6th of 2018? Or like Mr. Issa of California, are they all going to retire so fast out of high-tech states that the election's going to be over before we get to November? Well, they're dropping like flies, uh, and there's some Democrats that are, reti- are retiring as well. 
not not all old folks, but uh, some young folks saying they they've had enough. And I've talked to both uh, the Democrats and Republicans who are getting out and tiring and resigning. And uh, some of them are uh, upfront about why they're leaving. And I think it it doesn't bode well uh, for the two parties and the two-party system. Uh, We need diversity in each party. We need people to be speaking their minds rather than being uh, marching in lockstep. So it's, uh, I'm saddened by a lot of them leaving but on, on both sides of the aisle. I really am. How do you respond with the immense change and challenges of your ninth district to the East Coast, West Coast, modern progressive Democratic Party? Now, whether it's Miss Winfrey talking about running for president or whatever, I get that. That's the thing of the moment. But when you see the same old guard of quote unquote progressives, I would suggest Bill Pascrell is not a progressive. Where is your party? Where do they need to head to do better in 2020? Well, I think it's not just a question of, you know, on message. If we need a message, and I don't believe that that message has been tied in to the very fabric of what Americans are talking about in terms of not only decent jobs, uh, but but wages that are going to rise appreciably, uh, not only in terms of inflation, but in terms of our standard of living, getting our kids a good education, creating those jobs, uh, and having those folks be able to put bread on the yeah. table in their homes. I mean, this is this is a big issue when you lose sight of it and you get distracted. And other issues, which are important, but nothing is more important than the health of the nation and its economy. And that is why we have to work with the business community. And many Democrats are working with the business community. This week I saw a photo shoot. I believe Steny Hoyer of Maryland was sitting next to the president. You're having a cup of coffee this morning with the president talking about Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen. And you're educating the president on immigration in America because Patterson, New Jersey is a crucible of Northeast immigration of America. What's your advice to the president? to find a common ground with Republicans that are that are living in another time and place. Most immigrants are hardworking people and want, just like everybody else, for their families. They want to work. They don't want to be living off uh, the dole. Uh, they want to bring community stability, and we should treat them with deep respect because they're they're treating America at, with deep respect. Many of them have served in the armed forces to protect our nation. Many of them are police forces and, and fire fire departments and first responders, teachers. And and we have, I think, shown a in, a, in our very conversation, a deep disrespect of those people who've come here from other nations and their children. Right. I mean, well, look, what do, look what we're doing with DACA. You say, well, what the heck does that got to do with, with trade? Or, it has a lot to do with it. These people have basically educated themselves to take their place in our great society, and yet we're treating them as like second-class okay. people. Orrin Hatch, Congressman Orrin Hatch tried to find common ground with Ted Kennedy uh, the last immigration due, I'm going to say, 10, 11 years ago, right. that went down in flames. Well, not, not didn't go down in flames in the Senate. We never even brought it up in the House of Representatives because of the cowardly act of dismissing okay. it How before do we it even get, got 
talked about and discussed. Very quickly here, how do we get Kevin Brady and Bill Pascrell on the same page to move immigration forward? Well, that's pretty difficult because what Kevin did, and I like Kevin a lot from Texas, but he has showed a total disrespect of the Northeast. Uh, He's made it a a blue and red uh, dichotomy here. It shouldn't be that way. We're all Americans, for crying out loud. We're going to have our differences politically. We certainly do not want an end to the age of controversy. But when it comes to the basic principles of keeping this country together and united, we've got to work with each other. We didn't work Mm -hmm. with each other in the tax situation. Yeah in the tax cut that we voted on. We were not involved. We were dismissed, and they were dismissive. we got to leave it there. Congressman Pesco, your father worked for the railroad. In your spare time, could you just fix the trains of greater New York City? Bill Pesco from the 9th District, Patterson, uh, New Jersey, of New Jersey. He leads his note this morning, the widely acclaimed, the Gartman letter. Love it, hate it. It is a morning brief for Global Wall Street. Bonus round in the back are Gartman's trades. Uh, Dennis, good morning. Mr. Gross is quote-unquote shorting bonds. He looks for a modest bear market in bonds with some losses. Are you shorting bonds this morning as well? I should have been shorting them already, uh, and and I've missed the boat. I think that the important thing to understand is that the bear market in the bond market actually began 15, 16 months ago. There's no question about that. And as I've told people before, if you missed the bull market in bonds, which began in 1982, if you didn't buy bonds until 1983, now nah, if you didn't buy them until 1984, heck, if you didn't buy them until 1986, you still had 30 years of a bull market ahead of you. I fear that we are starting a multi-decade bear market in bonds, so any rallies have to be sold, weaknesses not to be bought. I think we've changed the trend that has been in place for 30-some years, and now you're going to be in, in, in the trend of a, a well, rising rates, lower bond prices for a long period of time. Within the silliness of the day-to-day debate, is it enough to derail a Fed policy that seems delinked from market action? Well, the Fed clearly is, is of a mindset to to raise over the overnight Fed funds rate. And actually, I should revise that and say the Fed will follow the overnight Fed funds rate. Relative, the Fed really never does lead. The Fed follows. But the, the, the Fed wants to take rates a little bit higher. I've always said that we're going to have at least three rate, three rate increases this year. We may even have four. However, the data this morning might, be a, might derail that a little bit because we, we've seen not, uh, the weekly jobless rate move above 260, which I've, I find to be very, very disconcerting. And more importantly, we still have a deflationary environment as we saw the PPI numbers go negative and nobody saw that coming. Dennis Gartman, wonder if you could add into your analysis real interest rates because real interest rates have not had a 30-year run. And indeed, when you have high inflation and you have high in- interest rates, you're not making any money. It's all relative at this point. So why would you say 30-year bear market, a bear, uh, bull market? Uh, it's been a 30. Well, all, all I can look at is the bond futures, and and that's the to me that's the real market, Pim. And it has been a 30-year 
bull market. The the what has been interesting is uh, in in my retirement fund, my wife and I did something relatively brilliant about 20 years ago. We be, we began buying strip coupon treasury securities, uh, and and that's outperformed actually even the equities market. Uh, but it, it has been because of a 30 year actually a 35 year bull market that ended in in the, the summer of 2016. We have not seen new highs in the bond market. We have seen new highs as far as interest rates are concerned. We have seen newer lows in the bond market, and I think that that's going to continue for a long period of time going forward. Inflationary pressures eventually, and that's the important word here, eventually shall, shall return, and the Fed will be late in, in, in understanding that. Take a look at what's going on in the commodity markets. They've stopped going down. Grain prices have stopped going down. Crude oil prices have started going up. Uh, raw materials prices, copper, zinc, lead, have all been going higher. Those the, the, the commodity markets turn before anything else does, and I think the commodity markets are telling us that inflationary pressures are likely to be extant going forward, and that is always going to be detrimental to the bond market. But then that would make sense that uh, the cost of money is increasing, but if you're nope. going to have to spend that money that you make uh, lending, lending something to the government or buying a bond, that uh, you're going to have to have more of it to buy the same amount of oil or the same amount of corn because you're telling me the prices are going up. So really, what's the difference? I, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, I mean, you're telling me that you're going to see commodity prices lead the way higher, and indeed we've yes. seen that crude oil, copper, yep. industrial metals, <laughs> yes. But if, so if the cost of things is going to increase, it makes sense that the cost of money would also increase because yep. you need more of it to buy the same amount of stuff. I will not argue. That's exactly what's going to happen. The cost of money is going to go higher. No question. I want to get to a, a gold and Bitcoin in our next segment, but um, I, I have put out I put out today on television, Dennis Gartman, that finally Bitcoin is at support yeah. and is barely on support. Let's yes. be clear. Gartman's in the business of buy, hold, sell. I'm not. Are you sell Bitcoin just on the last few days, technical work? If you made me take a position in Bitcoin, and you'd have to hold a gun to my head to do it, if you made me take a position in Bitcoin, I'd much rather be short of it than long of it. I don't own any nor am I short of it in my, in my accounts, nor would I recommend anybody doing so. But I do think if you simply looked at a chart, you'd say, whatever that thing is, if you put a chart yeah. of Bitcoin across the wall and walked away, you'd say, it's got problems here. Anything, if we start yeah. breaking under 13,000, uh, those people who bought it in the course of the last month and a half find themselves in a, in a very uncomfortable and an increasingly uncomfortable position. It's yes. definitely worth watching. To get back to yes. commodities, I love your S&P 500 ratio to the Reuters CRB index, the core CRB index, it dovetails with what Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs said. And it's not so much you love commodities or you hate equities. It's just on a relative basis, you can't ignore it, can you? I don't think you can, Tom. I, I think you have to pay attention to that fact. We are at historically wide relationships between commodity prices and, and, and equity prices. And to be quite honest, I'm the, the chairman of the University of Akron's endowment committee. And beginning six months ago, I started saying, at the margin, we need to begin reducing our equity position and increasing our position in real assets. And I'm going to continue to do that. That ratio of the S&P to the CRB index has gotten as wide as it has been in the past yeah. 70 years. Commodities are cheap relative to equities, so that trade, I think, makes eminent sense. Dennis Garbin, of course, is a huge response to Mr. Garbin's on Pro and Con. We've got to go to his long of three units of gold short of the euro and the yen. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, 
or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.